0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning, family. So nice to see you. Before I get to share the word, I've got some just thankfulness in our hearts that are overflowing and celebration. Uh, First of all, on our recent Faith Promise season, which we have concluded and the pledge was concluded for this coming year, uh, for 2019 and 2020. And it is so fantastic and we really want to thank every person that stepped out in faith. And he's trusting God with us so that we can see the gospel of the Lord Jesus spread throughout our city, our nation and beyond that you have pledged 5.5 million rand for the next year. So that is a fantastic pledge and we are so thankful for, for that. It really gives us a little bit of space to do more. But even in some way more exciting is we've also finished the 2018-2019 pledge. It actually finished yesterday. And according to our calculations, the pledge that was 4.5 million for, remember, the 10 months of last year, you actually finally gave 4.8 million, 300,000 rand more than that was pledged. And that's just fantastic. So thank you so much for that. And um, we are privileged to, with our partnerships, we failed to take that 300,000 rand and we're actually going to do something special with it. And uh, Betel, as you know, one of their key partner ministries that came to a spoke here a couple of weeks ago, they are up here in the northern part of, our, of Gauteng, quite a far from here, in, out in the sticks. And they, they quite struggle with having regular electricity. They have quite a, a large portion of their days normally they have no electricity so they started a project of trying to get it off the grid and to have power, you know, solar power and everything. And we're going to take 150,000 of that 300 and help them to be able to do that and to get off the grid and so that they can do their ministry. Then the other 150,000, we have felt it would be fantastic for us to start a fund that we can use for crisis relief situations in our city. So the idea is that we could have means With volunteers and people that when there's something that happens in our city of a crisis nature, you know, whether it's a natural disaster or fire that breaks out in an area or something, that we have the means to quickly respond and be helpful in those spaces. So we're going to take 150,000 rand and start a fund like that. And, and we're not 100% sure how it will work, but it's like seed money that we're going to put out and say we're going to trust the Lord to teach us how to do this and that we can do better when it comes to some of the, just the crises that are happening nowadays all around us. So thank you so much for your contribution and for being so faithful in your giving and how you supporting that. And because of that, Faith Promises just wanted to say thank you to all of you, and there will be ice cream for everybody after the service. So please, when you leave, it is also officially spring day today. Um, I don't know how many of you were up early this morning. When I, we got to the South Church this morning, it certainly did not feel like spring. Uh, when I got there at about quarter to eight, it was not spring at all. Now it's feeling a little bit better but uh, we are going into spring day and on the 15th, please remember, we're going to have our Heritage Day celebration together with a service where we're going to celebrate our heritage in the Lord and then also afterwards have some fun time. So please make sure you do that. Today we are also very privileged to have in our midst some visitors, uh, members of our church here. These are not the visitors. Sorry, I, I messed that up a little bit. We have in our congregation two members of our congregation lucky and penny Fatzelides, who are been long-standing members of our congregation and they senior leaders of the Hellenic ministries in south africa and um, they are accompanied today by pastor Ilya and nelly with their children that have come from crete to come and visit with us today so i don't know where they are if they are somewhere at the top there they are right at the top so won't you just wave at them say it's so fantastic to have you with us um and they've come all the way from Crete, and it's uh, fantastic, the ladies will know that when you had the Ladies' Day a couple of Saturdays ago, the theme was Crete. And uh, from the book of Titus, where Paul spoke and left Titus to go and, and run and plant and, and for, uh, look after the church in Crete, and how he, he had to say to him that it's such a difficult place to run to nurture a church, was Crete. And that's right where they are. Still living in that same calling, and it's such an honor for us to have you with us, and we pray for God's favor and for God's... Can we pray for them right now? I think that will be just... So stretch out your hands to the, that side of the auditorium. If you on uh, YouTube watching us, stretch your hand sort of to the right of whatever you're sitting, then you'll be okay. Lord, we just thank you for people that serve you, even in places where it's difficult, Lord especially for people that serve. We thank you for Pastor Ilya and Nelly and their children and we just bless them today. We're thankful that we can have this moment with them and we thank you, Lord, for the work that their ministry is doing and the church as they're leading there. We bless them today. We pray for your favor upon them, for strengthening them in their work and for your grace, Lord, for breakthrough upon breakthrough upon breakthrough. Wherever they trust in you, Lord, for doors to open, for provision to be released, we bless them in that, Father, in the name of Jesus. And we all say together, Amen. 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 Well, we are busy with our series, God Speaks, and where we are considering Just the value and the importance of having this ability as believers to hear and discern God's voice. And today I want to speak about knowing his voice. How do we know it's God speaking to us? And uh, to do that, I I want to use a, a couple of points to undergird that and then perhaps get a little bit practical with some of the realities. I don't know how many of you will remember these things. Perhaps some of the younger people have never had the privilege of driving with one of these things. How many of you remember how dangerous it was on our roads when you had people that would have this in front of them on the steering wheel and every now and then peer over to see if where they're going, it's still in the same. This is a map for everybody that doesn't know of our city. I think this was done in 90 something. I still use this one when I did home visitation as a pastor. I would try and find people's houses on this and uh, got lost many times. uh, But I want to use this as a map because when I was doing my officers training in the military, one of the things they trained us in as as junior officers is to be able to orientate according to maps to get your platoon from one place to the other. And the way they would do that in those days is we make use of what is called a six-digit grid reference. So we'd be out in the felt, Somewhere, and uh, then you know it will be your turn as in training or as a junior officer when you were out in the felt with your your troops. Then the radio would, would give you a signal, and on the radio, they would communicate to you and they would tell you, This is the six digit grid reference where you have to get to in a certain amount of time. By 1800, you have to be at this six digit grid reference point, you have to arrive there. And then, what you would do with that six digit grid reference which would be a description on a map, is you would have to find it on the map. And, you know, the topographical maps would have on them, you know, grid references, and then you would look for this spot, and then you would find it eventually and say, okay, guys, we have to be at that spot by 1,800 hours today. We have to move there. Okay, so now you know where you're supposed to go. Then the tricky bit is, where am I now? You have to find that on this map. And then most often you, you don't have some reference, grid reference that tells you where you are currently, that it may just be that you have to look around at the terrain and try and determine from the terrain, where are you? Are there any buildings that you can recognize? Are there any uh, ravines or is it, you know, the, the countryside, does it show you any way? Is there rocks that's on the map? And if then eventually you would find, okay, this is where I am. And once you've marked, this is where I am on the map, then you draw a line from where you are to where you have to be. And then you have to start looking at the terrain and saying, okay, this is roughly, let's say, five kilometers that we have to cover uh, on a map. But now we have to look at the topographical map and determine, is there something like we call dead ground? Dead ground would be like a ravine. If you had to walk, the, go down into a, into a deep valley and then come up on the other side. That may just be in in, in distance a couple of hundred meters, but it will take you a lot of time to do that. So must we go around the ravine or must we go through it to get to our objective in time? And you have to work out all of those things and then you plot a route. And once you've plotted your route, you take this fun gadget called a compass. And then you you put the compass on the map generally and then you turn the map and you get true north and you do all of that and you adjust and then you determine the degrees on the compass that you have to now start to walk in and once you've determined the degrees then you take the compass you hold it up and then you now look okay so that's the direction I have to go these are the degrees then what you would do is you would hold it up and you'd look through this little isolator thing I don't know if you can see it perhaps the camera can pick it up there's like a little slot in here and then I would have to put that on a fixed point on the horizon So let's say there's a big tree or a rock or something that I can mark and say, if we keep walking towards that rock, then we're going in the direction we should be. And then once we get to the rock, we do the whole exercise all over again to determine, you know, are we still on the right direction? How many of you are very glad you have a GPS now? (laughs) Hey, How many of you are so glad that nowadays you can just punch in a number or an address on a GPS and uh, you can get there? Some people still struggle, even though they have a GPS, but it has made life so much simpler. I, I, even nowadays, you have GPSs that you just talk to. I, last year, for one of my sons was going on a matric farewell, and uh, so I, I got organized this very fancy German car that had this concierge service in it. I think every pastor should have one of these, but never mind. So, hey, let's all go should we? Have, yeah, I think it should be standard issue for a pastor because it's fantastic. So I would, I would have to take them to a certain venue where they have to go. I don't know where the venue was. So then you push a button on the car, and the car, not your phone, the car phones somebody in Spain. Then you ask this person once you've settled a few things of accent and points of reference and whatever. Then you say to them, "I, I went, I want to get to the." And I remember the place, I can't remember the name now, but it was some very Afrikaans name that I had to say to them, I want to go to this place. And then they say, say that again. And then you say it again. But then they would say, okay. And they would say, oh, I see you in South Africa. I see you in Pretoria. Is this the place you're talking about? Yes, that's the place. Can I send you the directions to the car? Yes. And then boop, pops up on your driving system. Boop, there's the map and you just follow and it talks to you. Isn't that fantastic? Man. I do miss my map every now and then in my compass, but it's so much easier to drive with a GPS system. And it's, I want to use that as an illustration for us as believers trying to figure out how do we get from where we are to where we're supposed to go in life. And it's a tricky thing because where I am now may be where God wants me now, but by a certain time, He wants me to be at a different place. And I have to negotiate my way through some ravines some tricky places through rivers or whatever to get to where he wants me to go and the way that I move from where I am to where he wants me to go in the time that he wants me to go get there is by being able to know his voice his voice is our GPS system now I don't know if you know how a GPS system works I think most of you do But for a GPS to work, for my phone to be able to pick up where I am, it needs to connect to at least three satellites. So above us here in the air, there are these satellites that are part of the global positioning system. So when my phone, when I type in or when I switch it on and I say current location, it connects to, it has to connect to at least three satellites. Less than three, it cannot tell me accurately where I am but they can triangulate between three points outside of where I am currently and it connects to those three points, it will tell me this is where you are and then I can type in the address and it will connect to that point and tell me this is where I have to go and this is the route in between. It's always fascinating to me to think about you know, finding your way, that you need something outside of yourself to help you find your way. It's like being outside at night. If you want to walk outside at night and uh, you have no map or GPS, you, the, the best you can do is look at the stars. There are these lights in the air, some of them millions of light years away from me. Very far outside of my current reality. But if I look at them, they'll tell me how to get from where I am to where I'm supposed to go. If I know how the Southern Cross works, I can find where South is. If I know Orion's Belt, I can find where North is. But I have to have something outside of my reality to help me move to where I'm supposed to go. And so it is with God's voice. God's voice is something outside of me that helps me find where I need to go. God's voice may speak in me, but we must remember it's not from me it's not inside of me God in that sense and in theology we always talk about God's nearness and his distance because we need God both to be close to us but we're also in some things needing to be far from us especially when it comes to wanting to find our direction like a star is helpful because it's far above and away removed from this so God is with us in our everyday life but he's not affected by our everyday realities he's outside of it And when I look up to him and I say, Lord, help me find my way, I'm looking outside of my system or my current reality. So like a GPS, those satellites will not be useful, or the reference points for a GPS will not be useful if they're here with me. Then they can't help me find the way. They have to be outside there, in space, far removed from this, because then I can orientate according to them. It's amazing for me how sometimes, and in the world we live in now, it tells us all the time that if you want to find your way in life, you have to look here inside yourself. It's a ridiculous thought. It's like me standing outside and saying, where am I? Okay, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? I will never know where I am by trying to look at myself. I have to lift my head and look outside of myself to try and figure out where I am. Our human, our civilization, our culture is in big trouble at the moment because we've removed everything outside of ourselves as reference points. And all we have left is here. Where are we? We as believers are different. What sets us apart What makes us true believers and disciples of the Lord Jesus is that we're not only saying we are finding our direction in something outside of ourselves, but we're saying that that thing outside of me is the only thing that will tell me where I am and where I'm supposed to go. There's no higher authority than that. So when we have to discern, each of us, where am I and where do I have to go, it's so great that we have a GPS system that helps us understand that. So I want to put before you the three reference points of our GPS system and then explain how they relate to one another quickly and then move on from there. Our GPS system has these three points, and I think on my, on my presentation yeah, I didn't do a good job of, of putting it right. At the top there, you'll see it says God. That actually should say God's Word. God's Word, the Scripture, the Bible. The good old bible that's our first reference point and our primary reference point. point second to that we have me and by me i don't mean me i mean god's voice in me god's voice in me i should have put that better i, I forgot to do that so sorry god's voice in me so the first reference is god's word then it's god's voice in me and though it is in me I must treat it as something that comes from outside of me, not something that is mine. It's not my voice, it's God's voice in me. And then the third reference point is my community. So if I, how I believe this practically works, if I want to know what is God saying to me about either where I am or where I'm supposed to go or about the journey there, it's very great that I have those three things that I come to. But let me quickly say, God's word is the primary one and has the highest authority of those three. And that's always the place I start. If, the vo- if God's voice in me says something then what God's word says then God's voice in me is wrong. Then it's probably not God's voice. Then it's my voice. If my community says something that does not line up with God's word then my community is misunderstanding God's word. God's word is the starting point. It's the primary one. If I have that one lined up, then I can use the other two to help me figure out. Because how it practically works for for me is I discern God saying something. As a senior pastor of this church, I have the responsibility that from time to time, I I hear the Lord saying, this is something we have to do, or this is something we have to attend to, or, or this is something. Now what do I do with that? If I feel God says we've got to, you know, give money to start a relief fund, let's say for instance, what do I do with that? I first of all consider, is that scriptural? Because sometimes great ideas are not scriptural. Every idea you have is not a good idea. It may sound like a good idea. Many things have been done and we thought it was scriptural, only later to realize It was not a good idea because it went against some principle in Scripture. So I first have to consider that. Then secondly, I take it to my community. My community, for instance, in that space is the executive team, first of all. I have a team of people that with me, we together, part of our job is to discern what is God saying. So I'll take the idea to them when we have a meeting. We see each other every second week. We have a time together, a couple of hours, and then then either them or me or us together... It doesn't matter where the thought comes from, but from some of us, one of us will come, I feel the Lord is possibly saying this. Then we test it. If we feel it's something that is of a weighty enough nature, we'll take it to the rest of our teams. We have senior leaders, we have elders, we have different spaces where we then go and test the word of the Lord. Sometimes before we take it, we study it a little bit further. We, we, we get, do some research. We try and get understanding of what is God really saying to us. But we do that circle that we always talk about of a Kairos moment, a plan account act. What is God saying? Oh, sorry, before we do plan, account, act, we do observe, reflect, discuss, and then we do plan account act. But we, we process through. And then only does it come to this is what we feel. In my personal life, what it would look like is if I feel God saying something. To, to me or personally or in our family context, obviously, who's the first person I go to? I go to Natasha. And then sometimes together we will go and, and study the scripture. And we will always first submit what we feel to the scripture and to the word of the Lord and say, Lord, is this what you are saying to us? Then it may be that we take it to the boys and we say, this is what we feel the Lord is saying. Or we may take it to our friends or people that we have accountability relationships with, depending on the situation. But I found that my success rate really goes up a lot if I follow good process and disciplines like that. It really helps. I'm so glad that I can hear God's voice personally. I can hear God's voice in community. But that I can bring both of those and submit them to the word of the Lord. Which is a fixed point. Because me, I'm not such a fixed point. And I can even think I'm hearing God, but I can miss it. And I have done it. Even in community, we can miss it. But what really helps us is that there's this fixed point of the Scripture. And I think for us as believers, this is what we must understand To If you're a non-believer, you don't have to worry about what God's Word says, in a sense. But as a believer, a believer is a person that says, there's no higher authority in my life than the Word of God. Every other thought, must be submitted to what the word of God says. There's no higher authority than that. And that's easy to say, but let me tell you, it's not always so easy to do. I love the scripture in Hebrews 4 verse 12. I didn't have it on the screen. It says this, this is a familiar scripture. For the word of the Lord of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as of the the division of soul and spirit. Of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the word of God. God's word is alive and active. Is God's word alive and active in your life? Have you got a living, active, everyday relationship with the word of God? Because when we do have, as a believer, a relationship with the Word of God, a living, active, growing relationship with the Word of God, where I'm consistently submitting my life to the Word of God and saying, Lord, the one thing I want to get right in my life is to live according to your Word by the power of the Spirit. If that happens in your life, then this powerful thing enters your life, which is called the two-edged sword. Now, somebody lent me a two-edged sword. So I have this sword, and it's actually quite sharp, so I have to be careful with it. This is a two-edged sword. Why does the Bible, or the writer of the Hebrews here, describe the Word of God as a two-edged sword? Because you know you get swords that only have one sharp edge. They're actually a little safer. (laughs) That perhaps this side of it is blunt, and this side is sharp. But this is a two-edged sword. And as we understand the meaning of this, it's because this sword, the Word, has to cut two ways. Not just one way, two ways. And the first way that it cuts is it cuts me. If I take the word of God into my life, if I apply the the living, active, powerful word of God in my life, the first place it must cut is not outside of me, it's inside of me. In other words, I say, Lord, let your word judge, as he says here, the thoughts and intentions of my heart. I put my life to the sword. Apply your sword to my life. And it really looks something like this. If this is the scripture, my bad knees, but I come and I bow before the Lord and I say, Lord, whatever your word says, that is what I want in my life. Cut my life. Discern my life. Divide my life into what is for you and what is against you by the sword, by the word of God. Let my lifestyle fit in with what your word says. Do not let your word fit in with my lifestyle. That, dear friends, is what the life of a disciple is all about. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to live under, can I use this term, the pain of the word of God. Now, I want to quickly say God loves us God is careful, God is like a, this is, this is actually describing an expert physician that can take this sword and cut right between to the finest point, can separate bone and marrow, can separate soul and spirit. No human being can do that, but God can. And he uses his word like a fine instrument, not to harm us, not to hurt us, but to heal us. But we have to submit to his word. And when I've allowed his word to cut me first and change me, then something develops in my life where the word then becomes a powerful weapon that I can use to cut outside of me. Remember, our battle is not against people, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But the word becomes my weapon that I wield to destroy those things that are set up against the knowledge of God. But it's got to do it in me first. You see, the word is the weapon we have to deal with the problem of sin in our world. But the sin you've got to deal with first is your own sin. As somebody said, before you learn to hate sin in anybody else, first learn to hate your own sin. And that's sometimes the struggle for us, isn't it? It's easy to hate sin when I see it in somebody else. It's a different story to hate it when I see it in myself. Because I tend to give other people a lot shorter rope than what I give myself. I always have reasons, valid reasons and excuses for the things I do and say, but other people don't get that same benefit of the doubt. And then we walk around and we become these really problematic Christians that have these swords that we we love to wield and to cut with, but it never cut us first. And then we cause judgment and hurt. Now don't get me wrong, we have to use the sword of the Lord in our everyday life to discern to speak, to to elevate and to make known the will of God and sometimes to say this is not the will of God. It's our our job. It's what we have to do. But it's different when you do it when it's first cut you than when you just do it because you're trying to tell other people how to live their lives because it suits you. Are we living in that space where we're saying, Lord, let your word be the highest authority in my life. I'm going to seek your word. And I know for a fact, I've been journeying with God's word now for almost 40 years intentionally. From a young age. And let me tell you, that I still feel there's more that I don't understand than what I actually understand. And there's a lot more that I'm actually not being able to really do the way the word says it. But I'm so thankful that I'm not where I used to be. And, I, and knowing God's word and what God says in different situations is not easy. God's Word is not always so simple. Remember, God's Word was written over a period of 1,500 years by by many different writers. I think 30 plus, Sean, have I got it correct? How many of you? 30 plus different writers that speak into many different cultures and contexts. But the Word of God is the inerrant scripture. We believe the Word is correct. It is right. It is the truth. So when I come to the Word... I come with a heart that says, Lord, even though it may be hard for me to understand what you're saying in this context and how this applies, I know I am wrestling with the truth and I will wrestle till I find what the truth is. And sometimes my wrestling means I have to study the scripture. Again, I'm in a very privileged position, as others are in this community, that those of us that preach, it is our responsibility that we don't just come here on a Sunday and we tell you our experience. Or we just come and tell you our thoughts and our stories but that we have wrestled with the word of God. Every message that we preach here, whether it's me preaching on a Sunday morning or Neil or Lutzolo or anybody else that speaks here, even the service directors, we all have spent time disciplined in discussing the word and wrestling with the word. The same when, we, when our preachers in the evening services are in our meetings twice a week where we wrestle with the word, we talk about how we're gonna do it, what does the word mean? So we submit it in our own context so that we have good Disciplines. And I promise you, I don't get it right all the time, but I'm thankful that in this church, in this community, I was trained in the discipline of both the Word and the Spirit. I can remember Umari; who was tough on us when we were doing our exegesis of Ephesians and Corinthians, and still today, it's our privilege and sometimes we, we, we struggle with something, then we, in our own community, we don't quite know, we can't come to what is God saying, then we ask outside, and we go to biblical scholars, and we, we read things, and we study, and we look to try and be faithful to God's word. And it's not just my responsibility. You live in a fantastic age where you've got tools and resources. If you're a Christian for longer than a year, you should be reading the scripture with the heart to study the Scripture. And it's tough. It's, not, it's like learning to read a map. It's not easy. But I tell you, if you engage with it, there's good resources that we have here at the church. We do uh, sessions on Sundays about how to interpret the Scriptures, and we take pers- books, and Neil helps, and Pastor DeMalza, and others that help and teach us how to read. Can I tell you, the Scripture is the authority for our lives. And we've got to treat it as such. We've got to treat it with a high value to say everything in my life must line up with what the scripture says. As we understand and have we've done good disciplines at that time. Because then we have a chance of understanding what God's will and his purposes are for us. Then we can go to what John 10, and I read it last, we're going to read it again. Verse 3 to 5, the gatekeeper opens the gate to him, the sheep hear his voice as he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out, when he has brought them out he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice, they will not follow someone else, instead they will run away from such a person because they do not know his voice. You see, as a, as a congregant that comes to church on a Sunday or whenever I listen to sermons and I go to listen to other people speak, ultimately I'm not really looking to hear that person's voice. I'm trying to hear the Father's voice through them. And if they are faithful to the Scripture, then it's possible that I will hear God's voice through them. But sometimes we can think we're saying what God is saying, but we're just misrepresenting Him because we've not been faithful. As a preacher, I spent when I do my prep time, it takes hours for every Sunday, I promise you that. But I spend time in prayer, seeking what the Holy Spirit is saying, to understand that. And we spend time studying the word. To be faithful. To be faithful to the word of the Lord. And again, I am hastened to say I get it wrong. <laughs> The worst thing any preacher can do is to listen to sermons of five years ago, of yourself. I mean, you want to crawl into a hole sometimes and just disappear, and go, I cannot believe I said that. And there's grace of the Lord in it, but it's it starts with a hard thing, and I want to say that to each of us. To hear God's voice begins at this point. Lord, I want to hear your voice, because I want to orient my life, orientate my life according to your voice. Firstly. Because we have many voices that speak to us. As I've read up about it, it seems that there's five inner voices that each of us has. Just while you're sitting there right now, there's a possibility of while I'm speaking, you're not only hearing my voice, you've got things going on in your own mind. Hopefully it's somewhere in line with what I'm talking about. And you're not thinking about... Something completely different. But as you're sitting there right now, there's a, probably five different voices that you could be hearing, as I'm speaking to you. These five voices are the voice of God. It'd be fantastic if you're busy hearing the voice of God. The voice of your own conscience, your own inner and this moral compass, your own inner understanding of things. The voice of reason, the voice of your reasoning, the voice of your flesh. And then there's even the possibility that the voice of the devil could be speaking. And these voices are all, yeah, inside of us. And competing for obedience. Competing for the right to direct us. How do we know which one do we listen to? How do we know which one is ultimately the voice of God? So let me quickly just describe to you those voices so that perhaps we can recognize them better. The Bible talks about our conscience, and it talks about four different types of conscience. Conscience is that voice that each of us has, that whenever we do something or have done something, it tells us whether we feel what we did is right or wrong. Now, our conscience is not the voice of God. Our conscience can lead us completely astray. Our conscience can be wrong. The scripture teaches us in the first kind of conscience you get is a good conscience. A good conscience is, you can go read 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, is a conscience that has been instructed in the word of God. That is not instructed according to culture, according to your upbringing only, but instructed according to the word of God. That's a good conscience. But we also have something called a weak conscience. Conscience. A weak conscience is when people, and you can read about it in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 7, is when people are struggling and they don't know, is this right or is this wrong? To, this morning they feel it's right, this evening they feel it's wrong. It's what the scripture describes as being tossed to and fro by every wave. It's people that are confused, uncertain, they don't know what they're doing, they don't know is it right, they don't know is it's wrong, and they they, they just uh, floundering. That's a weak conscience. You also get a guilty conscience, Hebrews 12, 10 verse 22. Whenever I've done something wrong, one of, the, one of the voices that pops up in my life is, that was wrong. And that's a very powerful voice. Ultimately, that's the voice that keeps me from doing certain things. I will not break into your car unless you ask me, because you've locked your keys. And not because it's against the law, but it's because it's against my conscience to do so. My conscience is a very powerful voice and my, i do not like a guilty conscience it adds a lot of stress to my life then there's a seared conscience the word seared comes from the picture of i don't know if you've done this where you burnt your you, perhaps you burnt your finger on the inside here and you know when you burn your finger there's a blister that forms and when the blister goes away that skin there's a little harder and tougher over time it heals and it becomes normal like the rest of your skin but if you keep on burning that same place that skin will become tougher and tougher and eventually even lose its sense of feeling That's what a seared conscience is. Is when I keep ignoring this voice, when I keep saying, "Ah, I can handle it. I can do it." When when this inner voice says to you, "Don't do it. Don't look at that," and you say, "Ah, I can do it." You do that enough, you sear that conscience, and you'll lose that conscience. That's a seared conscience. So I have the voice of my conscience. Then I have the voice of reason. You know, what's logical, pros and cons, empirical data. And this is a very important voice. Sometimes people believe that Christianity is anti-reason. Can I tell you, Christianity is completely not anti-reason. We serve a God that made this universe and he is a reasonable God and he made it with logical processes. That's why we can have such a thing called science that can measure and weigh and determine how things work because God made it from a place of reason. Christians aren't people that are against reason. All that Christians are are people that say reason doesn't explain it all. There's things that is above reason. So often I tell Natasha, I love you so much and then she says to me, what's the reason why? She's setting me up. Because there's no reason. I can't explain to her why. I just love her. Amen? There's many things in your life that's above reason. It's not against reason. It's above reason. Our faith is not against reason. It is so much of the scripture. There's, oh, let me put it this way. There's not been anything found scientifically or if people really have done the work scientifically or in, in um, Archaeology, that disproves the scripture. Because the scripture happens in time and space. It happens within the confines of reason. But let me tell you, the scripture goes far beyond reason. And so I need the voice of reason in my life when I'm trying to understand what things are. It really helps my disciplines that I work with reason. So let's say, for instance, like I said, when when we feel the Lord says something to us as a church, one of the things we have to factor in, is this logical, is it reasonable, is it the right thing? We do the research, we do the study, we talk to people, we do our homework. Is this a reasonable thing? Sometimes after all of that, the Lord may say, it may not be reasonable, but it is the thing I want you to do. But then the process of study and process of the discipline has helped us define what it is that we are, are trusting God for and where the problem, problem points may be and where we really have to stand in our faith as we trust in God. It's not against reason. It's just beyond or above reason. You have that voice in your life. You also have the voice of the flesh. The flesh Paul describes or as carnality. It's when as a Christian we live... And we say I'm a believer, but I actually am led by my own desires. I proclaim to be a person that serves Christ and has put him first in my life. I proclaim to be a person who lives under the sword and have, have allowed the sword to be applied to my life. But actually I'm just using the sword so that I can get my will. I'm actually led by my own desires, my flesh, my appetites. That's the fleshly voice. And can I tell you, we all have that voice. Amen? Last week, I had this encounter where I went to go fill up my car, and uh, I've got to drive a diesel car, and as I was coming into the garage, I said to the attendant, where's the diesel? And he pointed me, and he started pouring in fuel, and about a minute into that, I just yelled, "Yo!" Oh! and he stopped, and he pulled out the, 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 the pump nozzle, and he said, oh, I put in petrol, and he put in 21 liters of petrol into my diesel car. And I was exhausted. I had a long week. We had TCN conference and other things happen. And I went that morning to a men's breakfast. And then I went to go visit somebody in hospital. And it was like 12 o'clock in the day. I was just looking forward to getting home, watching sport, just relaxing. And now this happens. And now I know this is most of the rest of my Saturday is going to be about getting my car towed in, you know, dealing with this problem. And can I promise you at that point the voice of the flesh came up and rose up within me and you know when your blood starts boiling that's the wo- that's the flesh boiling and and I could I could taste it in my mouth the things I wanted to say at that point the, the, how I wanted to react but I'm so thankful I don't always get it right but in that moment I was able to swallow and suppress that voice And I think it had to do with the fact that the attendant immediately said, oh, I made a mistake, it's my fault. Helped. And then later the owner of the garage came and said, listen, it's our our fault. We'll do whatever we need to do to make sure your car, and I mean, they were fantastic. They paid me the money to have Volkswagen fix it before I even had to pay it. And insurance was great. The towing agency was great. Everybody just worked together and it actually became a fantastic experience for me at the end of the day. And it only took about two hours out of my day. But I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that in, in that moment, the flesh didn't take over because now I've got a good relationship with the owner of the garage and it is the garage where I normally go fill up in and that can be an opportunity to build a relationship with him. I've got a good relationship with the attendant because the flesh, now yesterday, I've got the, the flesh got the better of me and I fouled it up and I'm not gonna tell you that story. <laughs> that I'm not gonna tell you. But the voice of the flesh is real. And then we have the voice of the enemy, and I don't want to speak too much about that. We've spoken about that over the last couple of weeks. It's the voice of accusation. It's the voice that makes you feel like you are worthless. It's the voice of shame in our lives. And that voice is very real. Now, how do I discern the voice of God? Especially in the fact that often God's voice is the softest of all five of those voices. He's the gentlest. Now that's a clue, but it's very easy to ignore the soft voice when these others are shouting so loud. The voice of reason, the voice of the flesh, the voice of my conscience, even the voice of the enemy. And then you add to the voice of my mother, the voice of my father, the voice of my wife, the voice of my children, the voice of my boss. You know, (laughs) it's like a circus in there. How do I get it right? This is the biblical principle. Worship team, you guys can join me. Thank you. Set your mind on God. Set. What does that mean? Does that mean all day long you just walk around thinking, God, 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 God? No. What it means to set your mind is what I spoke about earlier. It's to say, Lord, you and your word has the highest authority in my life. I'm going to seek until I know what your word is saying to me. Whatever the voice is in your life that has the highest authority, you'll keep seeking it till you know what it says. If your voice in your life is your own desire to have something, you'll keep seeking it till you know what that voice says. If the highest voice in your life is is the voice of, of of reason, you will keep working at it until you know the voice of reason. Whatever you make the most important voice in your life, that's the voice you will seek. A Christian, a disciple just says the most important voice is the voice of God. Coming through his word that he speaks to me by his spirit in this situation and that can be tested and confirmed in my community. But I'm going to seek. It's tough. It's difficult. Man, to know God's voice is difficult. In the heat of the moment, sometimes it's hard. But let me tell you, if you put your heart, if you set your mind on knowing God's word, he'll get you there. He will lead a person that has put his voice as the highest priority. But if you are saying, Lord, it'll be nice if your word can confirm what I actually want to do, then God's not going to bother to speak to you. Because he doesn't have to. You see, and this is what we do all the time. We want to do something, and then we just look for something to give us the authority to do it. That's not what a believer does. A believer takes every intention, every thought, and does what 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought. Every voice that speaks to me, I say, are you submitted to Jesus? When I do that, and that's a discipline to learn, but it begins with a hard choice that I want to encourage you to make with me today. It's a heart choice to say, Lord, I put your voice first. When I do that, then the Lord, by His Spirit, remember, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. It's because we have the Holy Spirit, and He knows you. He knows how to get you there. You just have to start and say, I want to get there. And then we'll talk more about some of the practical things. And we do training. We've got prophetic training here at the church. We've got hearing the voice of God training. We've got many different places in your life group you can go. And people will pray with you. People will journey with you. We've got many things that will practically help you. And we're also in the service going to try and help. But it begins with, Lord, your voice above all. Your voice above all. Colossians 3 verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Our reference point is outside of ourselves. Are you prepared to say, Lord, let my life measure up to your word? Please help me to not make your word fit my life. I submit to your word. Are you prepared? And that's why I wanted to take a real sword so that I had a play sword and I thought that's going to give you the wrong picture. Because this is scary. This is tough. But are you prepared to say, Lord, apply your sword? I want to live under the sword. Won't you stand with me this morning? I want to encourage you. The reason we do preaching series is because there's many different angles to a topic and to a thing that we'd cover. In, in one sermon, we can't cover it all. But it's really great if you do the journey of a series. So if you haven't been in church for a while, go on YouTube and look at, this, at the talks. Go on our SoundCloud, listen to them in the car if you can. If you missed this, just listen to it. I, we do the work, so please, it's fantastic. Don't say, I don't know, but then you didn't use what you could have. I'm not saying we have all the answers, and, but we, we're really trying to serve you the best we can. So please, let's seek the voice of the Lord together. If you are with me this morning and you're saying, Lord, I put your word as the highest authority in my life. I want you to raise your hand. Many of you have done this long ago and you have decided this, but can we just again say, Lord, I've walked to the tree on the top of the hill, and now I need to take the map out, reorient here, and I still want to say, Lord, I want to follow your voice. I want to know you. Your word is the highest authority in my life. And Lord, I'm going to seek to know your word. I'm not just going to use your word for Bible roulette. You know, just your page till you find a scripture that suits you or you just put your finger in the middle and say, Lord, that's fantastic. I know God can use that, but a a, a disciple digs in deeper. Lord, we go further with your word. We want to study your word. We want to know your word. We want to discern your word correctly. Help me, Lord. And perhaps there's places in your life where you know for a fact right now that you've not put God's word first. Can we just together say, Lord, forgive me. I meant no disrespect, Lord. It's forgive me. Bring me in line with your word, Lord. Help me to know your word. Perhaps you've been too casual with God's word. Say, Lord, help me to engage with your word. Help me, Lord, to go deeper, to go further with your word. Lord, we love you so much. We have this fantastic privilege, Lord, of doing life with you. Why would we miss it, Lord? Why would we waste it? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that speaks to each of us. Thank you for a community that we can belong to. So that we can know your word. Come Holy Spirit right now. Come Holy Spirit. I want to create this opportunity that if you're here today and you've never made a decision to live your life according to God's word. In other words, you've not said, Lord Jesus, be my Lord and be my savior. Then today we want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray with you and help you just to begin that journey from that place of, Lord, I put you first. So right now, if you feel like you need to give your life to Jesus, it's just another way we describe it. But it basically means to say, Lord, I'm going to stop living by any other voice. I want to live by your word and by your voice. And can I invite you just to come to the front? We just ask you to do that so that we can spend a moment personally with you. And one of our team, our pastors, our elders, our, our ministry team can just pray with you. And just give you some face-to-face contact and to say, God loves you. He has you in mind. He wants to speak to you. So please come. Any other person that has a need this morning to pray, won't you come and just pray with us? We'd love to pray with you. And Thank you for the testimonies that you share with us when you come sometimes. Just come and tell us when we've prayed about something that's happened, about healings that take place. It's fantastic. People that got jobs, it's fantastic. But let us pray with you. I'm going to end with a song and we're going to sing a song together just to settle our spirits and to seal this in our hearts this moment. Lord, I thank you for your people whose hearts are set on you for a desire to live in you, to serve you, Father. And I bless your people as they go with you into their lives, into the streets of our city, into their scattered places, Lord, to go and be the ambassadors of the kingdom. We love you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. I just sense that in this moment there's somebody standing here and you're actually feeling desperately alone. You're feeling so isolated. You're feeling so lost. And I just sense the Lord saying to you, just come, let somebody pray with you. You don't know what I can do. I can change everything if you give me space, if you give me the opportunity. Just come. If you feel, I, I sense there's also somebody here who you're right at the, at the crossroads of a tremendous pressure in your life around your finances and God is just saying, just let somebody pray with you. I'm with you. I've not left you. I've not forsaken you. Come. Put your hope in me. And you may say, but I've, I've tried before. I've, I've done it and it, nothing's changed. The Lord says, I've not forgotten you. I'm with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We also have people that if you want to get baptized today, you can go to the functions hall. Thank you for being with us. The Lord bless you.